43. And uh, so if those of you that want to read along, it's Genesis 43, 1 through 14. Now the famine was still severe in the land. So when they had eaten all the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go back and buy us a little more food. But Judah said to his dad, to him, he said, the man warned us solemnly, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you will send your brother along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you do not send him, we will not go down because the man said to us, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. Israel asked, why did you bring this trouble on me by telling me that this man that you had another brother, why did you do that? They replied, the man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living, he asked. Do you have another brother? We simply answered his questions. How are we to know what he'd say? Bring your brother down here. Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee you safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. Then his father Israel said to them, If it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags. Take them down to the man as a gift. A little balm, a little honey, some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the amount of silver with you, for, there must, for you must return the silver that was put back in the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and go back to the man at once. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man so that he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, I am bereaved. I am bereaved. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for this opportunity to just read from your word and just be encouraged, and yet it's, it, it, brings, it brings a chuckle to my mind too that, uh, that Israel is no different than us. That uh, he didn't want to take all the heat, and he was frustrated and with his sons and the situation. And Lord, you love us so much that, that you just show us day by day your grace and your love and your forgiveness. And I just pray blessings on everyone here this day. I pray that you would guide Steve with the truth that you've shown him through your word to touch our hearts and change our lives, Lord, with your spirit. Uh, we just pray it be in the midst of us now. And in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Terry. <laughs> God bless. Morning. Good to see you all on this beautiful day. Hope we all get out and enjoy as we can. It's a typical March day in South Dakota, right? Uh, we'll take it. And, you know, today I, uh, I uh, kind of want to start out because I just want to challenge. I got to get my toothpaste out of my... One of my daughters gave me toothpaste, okay? So it's uh, it, that's a whole other story. Yeah, thanks, God. <laughs> thanks. It's just... Uh, Oh, I have this sensitive thing in my mouth from chemo, and so they gave me this for a gift, and I'm like, okay, well, that's weird, but thanks. Uh, it was precious. So, uh, but today I just kind of want to challenge you. 
not uh, me against you, uh, as I said, the first service really, but I want to challenge you to consider your relationship with El Shaddai, with Almighty God. And, and I really believe for, for many of us here and, and really for those listening, uh, whoever uh, God speaks to, that um, this can really be something that really changes our trajectory and our walk with God. Because this is, this is just awesome. This is just awesome, what God does. And, and so, uh, you know, I'm not here to kind of change your life. I'm not the guy who can do that. I'm not the, the judge. I'm, I'm not the, the answer guy. But all I can do is point you to Christ. He's the one who can change our lives. And so I'm going to ask you to consider something today. And I'm going to ask you to surrender your prize. Prize, P-R-I-Z-E. Surrender your prize today. What's your prize Think about it. What's your great love? What do you dream about? What do you daydream about in about like two minutes when you're tired of listening to me? <laughs> and you're kind of off. What's your, what's your daydream? What's your prize, right? What is it that, that, that allows you to just spend your money freely in this area? Your money just kind of flows there. What is it that makes you angry when it's touched or, or when there's a threat that we might lose this? What's your prize? And your prize is almost always something that really is good, that has kind of become ultimate, right? And, and we're trying to get from our prize what really we can only get from Almighty God. But your prize is fundamental to your life. It's fundamental to your life from your perspective. And you really can't imagine living without it. It's like, I love God plus my prize. Right? I love God plus my prize. I love God plus my family, plus my kids, plus my parents. I love God plus my money, uh, plus my house, my vacations. I love God plus my education, my degrees, my career. I love God plus my health, right? Um, you know, what is your prize? I love God plus my friends. And I was kind of laughing because the first service I've had a lot of people tell me that, you know, thinking about I love God plus my health, and it kind of makes me think of it again because, you know, a lot of people say that, man, you look good to me. And more people tell me I look good now than ever. And, <laughs> and, and so, you know, I, I don't know quite how to take it. It's like, thanks, you know, you look good too. Um, or thanks, it's nice to, 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 to hear that, but it's like, you know, most of the time when someone says you look good, right, you're thinking, well, yeah, I've been working out, uh, kind of been dieting, you know, been really watching what I do, and what am I, it's like for me, it's like, yeah, a little cancer, <laughs> and all of a sudden you look good, <laughs> it's like, oh, thank you, <laughs> I'll have to try it again, you know, and uh, <laughs> it's just a kind of a funny thing, but it is, it's nice. Anyway, but, you know, like, it doesn't have anything to do with this, except for, you know, that's some of our prize is how we look, right? I love God plus how I look. I love God plus how I feel. I love God plus the fact that I'm healthy, right? I love God plus, oh, my family. I love God plus this, this church family. I love God plus the certain kind of music I listen to or I get to teach or I love God because I get to do certain things in my job. I love God plus my past and all the things he's let me do. What's your prize? Come on, what's your prize? And I've had a lot in my life, and, and probably many more, and God has kind of gently ripped them away. But 
he does that gently, rips them away. And, and so today I'm just asking you right up front to surrender your prize, okay? And not for me, it's between you and God. And, and it's going to require you to change. It'll require you to change. See, to grow we need to change, and often we don't really want to change. So we often stun our growth, and we think, God, just leave me alone, I'm fine. You know, I don't want to deal with this stuff, I'm fine. My life is fine. I like God plus my prize, okay? Just leave me alone. And most of us become kind of pessimistic, kind of very negative when someone touches something that's really dear to us. And especially when God touches something that's very dear to us. And it, it reminds me of a story about two farmers, and, and one farmer uh, lived next to this other guy for years and years, and, and one was totally optimistic all the time, never had a bad day, everything was good. The other guy was kind of a downer, right? Every day was terrible. And, um, and, and so they, they lived right beside each other, and the, the optimistic farmer would roll out of bed, and the sun was coming up, and, and he'd be so happy as he'd just shout over to the tractor to his neighbor, you know, look at the beautiful sky, it's clear, it's gorgeous like today, okay? Isn't God great? Another beautiful day. And his neighbor would say, well, it'll probably scorch the crops. And the clouds would come, and the rain would... Would, would fall, and the optimistic farmer would think, isn't this great? God's given the corn a drink today. It's awesome. And his neighbor would say, oh, if it doesn't stop soon, it's going to flood. Wash everything away, right? And this went on for years and years and years, and back and forth it would be, and, and the optimistic farmer got kind of dis, just, just disgusted with his friend in some ways. He wanted to say, there's got to be something that'll make this guy optimistic instead of everything being such a downer. So he, he, he figured out something that they both love. They both love to bird hunt. So he decided to buy the smartest, most expensive bird dog he could find, okay? And, and then he trained this dog to do things no other dog could do. It was incredible what this dog could do. And, and so he spent all this time training him, training these kind of uh, th these things that would just astonish anybody, and he thought for sure his neighbor would be so excited that he'd have to say something positive when he saw this dog work. So then he invites his, his buddy to go duck hunting, and they're duck hunting, and they're sitting in the boat. They're kind of hidden in a blind, and the ducks come in, and both men fire their shots, and, and the ducks fall into the water, and, and the, the, the optimistic farmer says to his dog, he's so excited, now go get him. And so the dog jumps out of the boat and walks on the water. Really, walks on the water, grabs a bird, brings it back, okay? And he says, go get another one, and he does the same thing. Walks on the water, brings it back. It's just incredible, and this guy's just so excited. You know, you got to say something cool about that. I mean, have you ever seen anything like that? That is the most amazing thing. And the pessimist, his friend, just sat there and said, he can't swim, can he? <laughs> just can't swim. <laughs> And you see, I think that's kind of how we are at times. <laughs> we, we can be pessimists at times when we think life is not fair, when we think our problems and our circumstances are worse than everybody else, when we get so discouraged, when everything is against us, we get frustrated, when we have to change and we don't want to change, when we like what we have and we don't want to mess with it, um, we can be pretty negative and pretty pessimistic, especially when the things that we think we have are good. And we don't want to give up our prize. And so today the challenge is to surrender your prize. And I do expect resistance. It's not to me, but it's between you and God. And so, Father, we come to you today, and I just pray. 
I pray and I acknowledge you are God. You are King of kings. You are Lord of lords. You are almighty. You are all-powerful. You are here. You are present. You're the great I am. And we freely just acknowledge you as King of kings. And so, Father, I pray that you would just move in each and every person's lives, personally, individually, as only you can, that you would reveal our prize to us and that we would freely surrender them so that we could have the ultimate prize. I just pray that this would be a day for every single person in here to leave free. And it's in your name and only by your power. And we do this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're looking at the life of Joseph and, of course, his father's Jacob. And uh, Jacob has 12 sons, right? We've looked at that. Only two sons are from his favorite wife, Rachel. And the two sons were Joseph and Benjamin. And then he had 10 other sons from Leah and from concubines, and he had one daughter. And, and Rachel, his favorite wife, um, the one that, that, that Jacob loved, died in childbirth when Benjamin was born. And Jacob, uh, of course, favored his, his son Joseph big time, right? And we've seen that. You know, he's the one with the multicolored robe, the one that's like, you don't have to work. Uh, of course, Joseph has this dream that all his brothers are going to bow down to him. That, that Joseph's going to be in control, and, 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 and his father just favored him in, in every way possible, and his brothers hated that, so they sell him into slavery, right? And, and now just think about this when you think about your situation, okay? Jacob thinks that Joseph is dead. Just think about that when you think about your situation, when you have to surrender your prize, okay? You think everything is somehow not good, okay? That God is somehow not good. Because that's what Jacob's thinking, that Joseph is dead, and he's deceived. Okay, he's deceived. Actually, Joseph is the number two man in Egypt. He's running the nation. So there's this famine in the country, famine all around there, and, but there's food in Egypt. And so Jacob sends the brothers to get food, all except for Benjamin, because he couldn't bear to lose Benjamin and Joseph both. And so he sends them down there. The brothers go down there. They end up going before Joseph, which they, of course, don't recognize their brother Joseph. Uh, even though they sold him to the Ishmaelites who were going to Egypt, they're, of course, looking for uh, their brother as a slave, right? Not as running the nation. And they go before Joseph, and they don't recognize Joseph, but he recognizes them. And what Joseph does is he gives them food, all the food they need, plus he gives them back all their money, pours out grace on them, sends them back home, and keeps Simeon as a hostage and says, don't come back again until you bring your brother Benjamin. And so then they go back home. And now as they go back home, remember that his father, Jacob, his prize now was Benjamin. It used to be Joseph, but now it's Benjamin because he thought that Joseph was dead. He thought he was lost. So now he has this great love of Benjamin, his son. And this man in Egypt is asking them to, he's asking him really to surrender his prize, okay? So just think about this. What's your prize? And, and they go back, and I think you'll find that we can learn a lot of lessons from Jacob uh, and a lot of lessons from the Word of God. And so back in Genesis chapter 42, right before where Terry started reading, you'll kind of see his first response, Jacob, when they come back, okay? And they come back, and, and his response is negative, right? In, in verse 36 of chapter 42, Jacob says, their father says to the kids, you have bereaved me of my children, Joseph is no more, Simeon's no more, and now you want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me, right? He's basically saying the dog can't swim, okay? Everything is against me. And so Reuben spoke to his father, and he said, you're going to put my two sons to death if I don't bring him back to you. Put him in my care. I'll return him to you. But Jacob said, my son shall not go down with you, for his brother's dead. He is alone left. If harm should befall him on the journey that you're taking, then you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. 
okay? Now realize that Jacob has known the Lord for years and years and years. And just think how many times God had come through for him. Over and over and over. And he could have easily just stopped for a minute and said, you know what? Our God is good. Our God is powerful, okay? Let's just stop and pray. God has to be doing something in this situation for his glory and for good. Even though we can't figure it out, let's just stop and pray. He promised Grandpa Abraham that we would be a great nation, okay? Let's just stop and ask this almighty God what's going on. And we all have things like this in our life. When life is hard, when life just seems to just suck, really. There's no other way to say it. And, and uh, I guess you could say it nicer, but I didn't. And, uh, but, you know, life's hard, right? And there's no hope. And, and we feel like we're trying to live life without God and we get discouraged and everything is against me and, and it's all black and everything's dark and man, God now wants to take my prize and, and the world system and our flesh and, and Satan, our enemies, trying to get us so discouraged and so down and trying to doubt that God even cares that he has the power to do anything about our situation. He's not even paying any attention. Everything about this is terrible, right? But just think about the truth. Joseph is alive and Joseph is prospering, Okay? Joseph is prospering all this time, and God is actually leading his people to save them. And ultimately, he brings deliverance through Moses, right? And he's preparing the way for the Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's the truth, but it looks really bleak from Jacob's eyes. And obviously, oftentimes in your situation, maybe right now, things look very bleak, but you need to know that God has great plans for you. You need to know that what's going on right here in this day, even though it seems bleak, somehow God is using for good and for his glory. You need to hold on to that because God desires to set you free. But to do that, you have to surrender your prize. He's the only prize. He's not a plus God, as A.W. Tozer says, right? It's not family plus God, money plus God, my career plus God, my health plus God. He's a God minus everything else. He's a God minus <laughs> because he is the ultimate one. He is almighty. He is all-powerful. He's the great creator. He's the great great I am. We are just like sand. He is everything. We are not. That's this God. And when we get there, when we realize that, God, you're the ultimate one, there's nothing else that compares to you, guess what? Then we're free to have everything else. Everything else. Is God asking you to surrender your prize today? He'll pinch your circumstances. You know, for Jacob and his boys, it was a famine. He'll put you maybe in places that you think is so harsh. He might put you in places of solitude. He might put you even away in prison. He might deal with your finances. He might deal with your relationships, right? And we try and fix all these things on our own, and we just can't. Okay, that's often how the process goes. And I, I want to just, you know, thank Chuck Swindoll years ago. Pat and I first taught through uh, the life of Joseph in 2001. And at that time, God used Chuck Swindoll to really open up the scripture to me through this. Years that's just really struck with me all these years. Because I think what happens is so often when we're going through these difficult times, we respond just like Jacob. And I think we'll be able to see ourselves in there. So God's touching this dear spot in your life. He's asking you to surrender this dear thing to you, to him. It's dear to you, and he wants it. 
And one of the very first things we typically do is we try and just put it off, right? We just try and ignore it. That's what happens here in chapter 43, verse 1. The famine's severe in the land, and, and so they came about, they had finished eating the grain which they had brought from Egypt. Their father says, go back and buy us a little food, okay? So the very first thing he does, just think about that, is he puts it off, right? They come back, they say, here's all the food, but you've got to bring back Joe, Benjamin before we can get any more food. So he's just thinking, ah, let's just forget it. Let's just hope we have some good years. We're going to have some crops. This famine's going to go away. Of course, we know the end of the story. We know it doesn't go away for seven years. And yet, uh, he's thinking, if I can just put this off, if I can just deny it, everything's going to be okay. And that's how God does. He has a way to put us in these circumstances that really pinch us, that we can't overcome on our own. And he may be using your circumstances right now to get your attention. It's time to surrender the prize. Of course, for Jacob, it was time to surrender Benjamin. He'd already lost Joseph, he thought. And Jacob kind of denies it. He kind of delays. He thinks, we're not going to do anything about this. I'm not even going to deal with this. Let's just enjoy what we have right now. And when the time comes to deal with it, then I guess we'll have to deal with it. But hopefully we won't, okay? Just deny it, deny it, deny it, delay. And that's often what we do. And then when that doesn't work and we're forced to deal with uh, what God continues to put in our life, the next thing we do is kind of like he does, we tend to blame and look what he does in verse 6. Israel says, that's Jacob. He says, why did you treat me so badly by telling the man whether you still had another brother? And they said, well, the man questioned us about us and our relatives. Is your father still alive? Have you another brother? So we just answered his questions, right? Could it, how could we possibly know he's going to say, bring your brother down? But we tend to do that, right? His old personality kind of comes out, the deceiver, the chiseler. And he's like, why didn't you just lie to the guy? That's essentially what he's saying. Just lie to him. Why didn't you just deceive him? Tell him that this was all there was, right? He got, he's basically saying, you guys, you boys messed up. And when God's asking us to surrender our prize, that's often what we do. We kind of move to blame. It's someone else's fault that I'm in this situation. After we've denied it, after we've tried to put it off and we're still faced with it, we want to blame someone else. Okay, it's someone else's fault. I'm stuck here. It's not my fault. And people can carry blame for their circumstances for years and years and years, right? Someone said you're dumb, stupid when you're young, you're fat, you're lazy, you're a loser, right? Someone said something that causes you incredible pain. There's something in your past that happened or that you did that you can't get past. There's something that happened years ago in the war. There's something that happened years ago in your family. There's something that happened years ago when you were going through some terrible situation. There's someone that happened years ago when someone sinned horribly against you. And, I, and I'm honestly not minimizing the circumstances, okay? I just am trying to maximize the grace and forgiveness we have for God when we turn to Him. And so I just challenge you to just kind of drop the blame because it'll set you free. It'll set you free. And these circumstances here really forced Jacob to do what he refused to do. He forced him to trust God with his sons, his prize. A couple round trips from Hebron where they lived down to Egypt would be about a thousand miles, about seven weeks is the way they would travel. So he wasted a couple months, right? And guess what? After a couple months, he found himself in the same situation, facing the same issue of trusting God with his sons. What's your prize? Just wait a couple months. If you don't surrender it, you're still going to be in the same situation. <laughs> and God's going to continue to bring us back. And for some, it takes years to quit trying to, to kind of scheme your way out of God's plan. And just to surrender your prize. 
So I really ask God to just not let us waste precious time by refusing to trust him, even with our most precious possessions, and surrender today his prize. Why? Because it's best for you. It's best for me. So we try, kind of deny, we try and put it off, we try and blame other people, that somehow that never quite works, and so then we kind of move on to the next thing Jacob does, we just kind of tolerate the situation. Look what happens in verse 11, right? Fine. That's not in there, but he, that's what he, I'm thinking he's saying. Fine. If it has to be so, then do this. Take some of the best products of the land in your bags, carry down the man as a present, a little balm, a little honey, aromatic gum, a little myrrh, pistachio nuts, almonds, you know, that always works, right? And take double the money in your hand, take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake, and go ahead, take your brother and go to the man. Go to the man. You see, he moves to this sense of tolerance. It's like, okay, fine. Take Benjamin, take the gifts. He's still trying to scheme. You know, he figured the gifts worked when Esau came to him, so maybe it'll work again. And uh, we'll just tolerate this. Even though we don't agree with it, we'll tolerate it. You ever been there? Ever been there with God? He puts you in a circumstance. Of course, you know better than God. Right? At least I think I know better than God at times. This isn't fair. This isn't right. This can't be good. And he puts us in these circumstances, and all of a sudden, we can't get out of it. And we say, okay, fine. I'll put up with this stuff. Fine, God. Fine. I'll put up with this stuff. Right? And, and we just kind of tolerate it. But you see, that's what God does to get your attention. And you can try and deny him. You can try and put it off. You can try and blame someone else. You can even try and play the martyr and act like you're making this really big sacrifice for El Shaddai, right? Okay, God, fine. Fine. The truth is, you don't have a big sacrifice to make for God. He's almighty. We can't even offer him anything that is worthy of him. Zero. He's the creator. He's the ultimate. He's, he's the great I am. He's the one who controls everything. Everything is contained in him. He is self-existent. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need our sacrifices. We have absolutely nothing we can offer our God. We might as well just admit it. He is so far above us, and yet he absolutely loves us. And so for us to kind of come to this place to think, okay, fine, God, I'll do it for you, even though I know you're wrong, right? But I'm going to go along with it. And that's kind of what happens here. Fine, I'll send Benjamin. And then finally he gets to the point where ultimately we can get that ultimately sets him free. And in verse 14, he says, And may God Almighty grant you compassion in the sight of the man that he may release to you your other brother, that'd be Simeon, and Benjamin. And as for me, if I'm bereaved of my children, so I'm bereaved. He gets to the place of trust. And for the first time, he responds with God in mind. It's really the first time that Israel puts his trust in this God who can do anything. El Shaddai is the name used there. The all-sufficient God. The God who is the one who has all the blessings. The one who pours forth himself, okay? He's the one. He's the ultimate one. He's the one we yield to. He is the one who is the prize. Now just stick with me here as we land this because as you surrender your prize to El Shaddai and all of a sudden you find out you possess nothing, you have everything. 
you'll find you're free. You'll find you're secure. You'll find that you have significance. You'll find you have this shalom, this peace. And you don't have to blame. You don't have to deny it. You don't have to try and just tolerate it. You can just trust God. You don't even have to be in control because you trust that He is. And you can just rest because He has the best plans laid out for it. And you see, that's the truth of this whole situation. Jacob's all freaking out about losing his sons. And guess what? Joseph's running Egypt, right? And God had promised Jacob, he had promised his grandfather Abraham that Israel, Jacob's line, that this would be an incredible nation, that they would spend 400 years in captivity in Egypt, but they were going to be there to judge Egypt, that he was going to strengthen this nation from these 12 right, to hundreds of thousands, and that they were going to come out of the promised lands with many possessions, and God's perfect plan is unfolding, and we know how the story ends, but Jacob hadn't read the book, it hadn't been written, but El Shaddai knows, and we have the same God, the God who is in control, this same God, El Shaddai, he knows what's going on in your life, he is almighty, he is all-powerful, he is all-sufficient, he is the God of Abraham. He is the God of Isaac. He is the God of Peter and of Paul and of you and of me. This same God, he knows. Ha! <sighs> and when God asks you to surrender your prize, you can respond like Jacob originally. All these things are against me. Or like the Apostle Paul, we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who are called to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. You know, in the book of Jeremiah, the prophets talking to Barak, as tough times are coming on, and in Jeremiah 45, he says this, but you, are you seeking great things for yourself? I've been stuck on that verse off and on through the years. Are you seeking great things for yourself? He says, don't seek them. For behold, I'm going to bring disaster on all flesh, declares the Lord. I'm going to give you your life as booty in all the places you may go. And I kind of like that, that word. It doesn't, booty, it doesn't, it's a little different in our, in our language than it was in the, in the Hebrew. But it's cool because what, it, what he's saying is this. And just, just stick here as we land this thing. He's saying, look, I will give you gain. I will give you spoil. I will give you plunder. I will give you prize with your life. As you seek me. That's what God's saying. Here's what he's saying. Surrender your prize and God will give you life and your whole life will be a prize. Did you catch that? Isn't that cool? Surrender your prize that you're holding so tightly on that you think is so great and surrender that to God and God will give you life and your whole life will be a prize. You see, God minus all things and all things are then available to you. Will you surrender your prize? He desires to pour out his blessings on you. Maybe you're clenching too tightly to this thing that we think is so important. Release, release your prize and you'll get the ultimate prize. And I'm not asking you to give up the best part of your life, but to gain it. To gain it. You see, when Jacob's grandfather Abraham had offered up Jacob's father, Isaac, as a sacrifice to El Shaddai. And he remember he offered him off because that was really, Abraham had placed Isaac as really the ultimate thing in his life and God touched that. 
And so he offered Isaac up as a sacrifice, and God says, don't stretch out your hand against the lad. Don't do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, that you revere God, since you've not withheld your only son from me. He surrendered the prize. And as he surrendered his son, God had a sacrifice prepared. Remember, there was a ram caught in the thicket. The lamb was available. And, and all of a sudden, um, he had the prize. And I'm telling you that God has the answers to your problems already there. He wants to bless you beyond what you can even imagine, and he'll show you that when you simply obey and surrender your prize. Of course, the lamb was slain. Isaac had life. The lamb of God, Jesus Christ, was slain, and he was raised so that you may have life. And God's desire is that you experience that life to the full. On our own, we can't. But through Christ we can. And realize that Christ surrendered his life for you, that God did not withhold his prize, his own son, but instead offered him to be killed for you so that you could be free, so that you could experience life. So my desire as we close is for you to go before your God and my God. And I ask you just to surrender your prize to him now, to trust Christ for your life as a prize. Father, I, um, just want us to be quiet before you. I pray that you would just touch each person in this room. They would open their hands. and surrender what they're holding on to to you so that they can experience the ultimate of life.